0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: So it's Sunday night and I'm talking with Sam. Uh, If you want to introduce yourself, Sam, and tell us what your business is and what it does.
2: Yeah, so my name's Sam and I own Pakataka for Pets Limited, um, which specialises in raw food for cats and dogs.
1: Okay, Sam, how long have you been doing that for?
2: So I bought the company in April 2019, so nearly two years now. We've been through a lockdown, we've survived, we've come out the other end, and we're currently going through another. So it's had its challenges.
1: Okay, so when, uh, what, what were you doing before you bought the business?
2: Um, so I was a police officer for nearly 19 years, so a completely different challenge buying this company, um, but one that I don't regret at all.
1: So you're, you're a police officer, and that's in Guernsey, where we live at the moment. Yeah. So I
2: was the, um, the dog handler for the police, so I spent 12 years handling a general purpose police dog and also drugs dogs as well.
1: Sorry, how long did you say you were a police officer for? For 19 years in total, 19 was 12,
2: years. Years, yeah, 12 years of that was um, on the dog section.
1: Wow, so obviously yeah, there, so- there's a link there between being a dog handler and, and selling dog food. is is that a a real link or am I just putting two and two?
2: um, No so um, I had my second police German German Shepherd had very bad allergies um, to the point that she was in the vets back and forth with ear infections, skin issues and everything else and It got to the point where she was then scared of the vets, Mm. which isn't a nice thing to see your animals go through. So there was something else that I should have been doing for her. So researched food and actually found it quite interesting because when you start looking at dog food, I mean, there's so many on the market at the moment and I'm not saying that Raw fixes everything for everybody. However, I knew of Cathy and Graham Glass, who used to run Puckatucker and went down and saw them and just explained to them the issues. Um, And he gave me a month's free trial for the food and that dog never looked back. Her ear infections went, her skin was amazing and even the black in her fur came back as well and it was just, yeah, it was a real turning moment for actually, what are we feeding
1: our dogs? Yeah, we'll expand on that in a minute but uh, just a bit more about the business first. But with your... um, you taking it over did you take over a an established customer base
2: yeah so um kathy and graham had been running it for about seven years um before they then sold the company to me so i took on a client base um i took the the name of the company because it was already recognized um Mm. so i decided to keep all of that because it was something that people knew and believed in and yeah so i've run with that and over the last two years, I've more than doubled my customer base.
1: Wow, that's good. Good work.
2: Yeah, well, it's been, it's, been, it's been hard work and it's been a challenge. Every day is a learning day, but I've enjoyed absolutely every single moment of it. That's good. What sort of range do you do? So I specialise in RAW. Yeah. Um, and basically, um, there's a couple of companies that I work with. So I currently supply two brands. One of them is the Nutriments, which is a complete feed for dogs. Yep. So it comes frozen. Basically, it's all complete. So you don't have to worry about adding anything in. So if you're looking for a raw diet for your dogs, but you don't know where to start, then I would always recommend that somebody starts with a complete diet and then if they wish to move into doing it themselves, they can they can go from there.
1: My my partner has bought food off of you for our dog. We've got a Bull terrier. And this is what I said we'd expand on after because bull breeds can be quite susceptible to allergies and and poor skin. Absolutely. Conditions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I was just wondering um, like your the the dogs that you see, is it more for because there, there is a um, like a trend at the moment for raw dog food. Uh, do you, is it more for health reasons or, is, I don't know, is it something that people are trying just because it is a trend?
2: So do you know when kibble, dry food for dogs, was first invented? No, I don't. So if I said to you 1956 was the first bag of dry dog food okay. and that raw feeding has actually been in existence since day dot, it kind of puts a perspective on it's it's not a trend I think it's just becoming people are more aware of what they're feeding themselves um we all know that chocolate crisps and sweets and everything are bad for us we're looking at you know organic things we're looking at should we be eating you know as much wheat you know gluten it's I just think that people are very much more aware. And like you've mentioned, there's dogs now with severe allergies. Now, I can't tell you why we're seeing more of it, but we definitely are. Cockapoo's, they're another one. You know, they've got lots of issues. The poo breeds, it just seems that they have issues with being fussy eaters as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I don't think it's a a trend. I just think that people are just becoming more aware that actually it's not as difficult as people think it might be because if you log onto the internet and type into Google raw feeding, it can be an absolute minefield and you don't know where to start.
1: No, that's, that's right. I mean, um, years ago, it's, it's the, uh, the old standing joke that you see lots of white dog poos around because obviously they'd, they'd have more calcium in their diet from eating. More more bones, Absolutely. I
2: suppose, yep. and things like that. Well, and you know, fit as a butcher's dog, you know, that saying is actually, you know, because that's what used to happen. Dogs were fed bones, scraps from the table. You know, you asked your grandparents what they fed their dogs if they had them, and they will probably tell you that it was scraps from the table. It's raw is feeding a, you know, a species appropriate diet, basically. You know, dogs aren't or weren't invented to be eating grains and kibbles.
1: No. So when you took over, you say you managed to double your customer base. How how did you manage that? Did you do anything? Did you change anything?
2: So basically, um, I decided that... To get me out there, I needed to attend lots of local events. So the Seafront Sundays, the markets that are going on in the um, the old market building, you yeah. know, just to get me out and about, because sometimes people don't know that you actually exist. Um, until you get out there, you start meeting people, you know. So I offer, you know, treats of various different types, um, whether that be raw, whether that be dried, you know, everything. So everything I supply in my shop is 100 percent natural. It's additive and preservative free. And that's kind of the motto that I've got for Pukka at the moment, that it's all just natural.
1: Okay, so you've, you say in your shop, where is your shop?
2: So at the moment, I call it a shop, but it's not really a shop. It's a collection service from the garage. Um, so I'm running 13 chest freezers at the moment. However, there is some very exciting news to come for Pukka um customers in the very near future. COVID and this lockdown has put a bit of a spoiler on that because it's not going to be happening now for another couple of weeks but yeah there is big news to come
1: that sounds interesting yes
2: um yeah it's going to be
1: yeah i mean uh property over here for all premises are difficult to find so obviously you i'm I'm assuming you've managed to find something but fair play to you and like, like you say advertising it's difficult to advertise effectively in guernsey because it's the same as anywhere else but um you've got quite a small customer base here because like yourself you're you're supplying something physical and when when it's not like an online service and you're you're servicing the people that are local you um or living locally to your area which is guernsey then it, it's difficult to know which is the best method of advertising sometimes if if, if you're not creative thinking enough it, it could cost you a fortune to go through the this, different traditional yeah. media see
2: so this you, is the problem i have so from leaving the police force, I knew one computer system that that's all I'd used all my life. You know, if a problem came up, I would phone somebody and they would fix it. Um, yeah. However, you know, I've had to log on to different things, create a website, which is under construction at the moment. It's going out an overhaul. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been an absolute learning curve for me But Facebook instagram you know they are your best friends when you've got a small business and you want to get your name out there and people don't realize a, a simple like or share on your posts that you put up from your friends it can reach so many more people um yeah. so i'm just using facebook to my advantage at the moment
1: that's good my, my partner who has bought food from you um she told me that you uh you've actually developed your own recipe or you're you're working with a supplier that's uh, developed your own brand
2: yeah so um, basically um, lots of people take their dogs on holiday with them now so they'll go off to the south of France or to the UK for two weeks raw food is frozen and once you defrost it you've only got three days to use that up so people were not wanting to obviously take which is understandable because you don't want to be logging a freezer around with you for two weeks holiday so people were going to the shop and buying you know a well-known brand of kibble were coming back and saying that their dogs you know had been unwell on it there was a gap in the market so I couldn't offer them anything at that point so I had to do something so found a company in the UK that you can work with and say right I want to provide this yeah um, and I want to be using the highest quality ingredients I can I want to be able to source it back to where it's come from and I want a label which tells everybody exactly what's in those products so worked with them for many months and yeah so we came up with the um the superfood um which has got 65 percent meat content okay it's got no additives no preservatives there's no fillers in there at all and there's five superfood veg in that kibble
1: being in Guernsey is there any way you can add something into the uh the recipe that makes it unique to Guernsey that could be sort of marketed beyond just Guernsey that people think, oh, well, that, that might be nice for yeah, my dog. So,
2: so um, at the moment, I'm doing a little bit of research into seaweed and how... because obviously, I, That's exactly got what Gurns- I was just going to say, the yeah. old kelp or
1: so, rat.
2: Yeah, so we've got Guernsey seaweed, you know, which I love chatting to those guys. You know, I sprinkle their seaweed stuff on everything and in everything. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very underrated at the moment and it seems to be... One of those things that people haven't considered in the past, but it's yeah. on its way up, I think. So, yeah, possibly it's something that I could yeah, look into it's... and expand further.
1: Well, that, that's one of the things that we've, I suppose, we've got an abundance of because we don't really have a lot of land, but we do have a lot of sea. And, yeah, uh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, complete,
2: the goal for me would be to have my own factory where I could actually produce my own raw food as well. But as you know, the rents yeah. on properties over here you know the logistics of getting things over here the shipping is just incredible price wise you know so who knows maybe in the future but
1: well people keep saying covid is a great reset and uh, rethink maybe property prices and things might change beyond that because there is oh, quite possibly there, there isn't quite the same demand for maybe i don't know commercial properties when when uh, things can't travel as easily and and as cost-effectively, whereas... No, um, and
2: the the thing that I found, I mean, there was a time when I was looking for a property to rent and I went and saw some places and you just think, for what they were charging for rent, then by the time you've added everything on, on top as well, actually, for a small business that actually wants to grow... Yeah, it's completely unachievable sometimes, you know. Um,
1: Are you are you willing to divulge some of the rents that you've seen? You don't have to say which properties or where they were, but it's in Guernsey and uh, how much the sort of price is because people from the UK or from wherever might be listening to this, where the see in the in the UK, you've you've got things like the the London living wage. But the thing with the London living wage is you can work in London, but you can commute to London from a, a cheaper living area. Whereas in Guernsey, yeah. everything is Guernsey property prices. And because we've got a, a pretty big industry here, which revolves around finance, so it, it has made the price of properties quite expensive and it, it is out of reach for certain people to be able to achieve. But um, yeah, did, so could you expand on on the prices that you've seen for certain properties and what the, not necessarily where the properties were or the names around them, but what kind of properties they were?
2: So um looking at properties i I had a budget in mind which I thought was achievable um, yeah. and was probably realistic, and very quickly realized that actually what I could afford and what people were asking was completely unrealistic and unachievable for me at this time so I went and viewed a few properties one was in quite poor condition the roof was leaking and they were asking and I believe it was 800 square meters and they were asking for 1,500 pounds per month but that was with no fixing of the roof Um, you know if you wanted to do it you had to do all the work yourself then you had to pay all of your um, services on top, obviously. Yeah. You then had to pay your rates on top. So actually, by the time you've looked at it, you're looking at a good £2,000 yeah. that you've got to earn and clear before you can even think about paying yourself a wage or ordering an extra
0: stock. This, this so it was challenges we face.
2: Yeah, and then on the flip side, you've got the bigger properties, which you think you know, the dream could be but they're looking for £46,000 plus per year. When you look at raw stores in the UK, there's some of them which I follow. And, you know, when you want to aspire to be like somebody and you've seen somebody's business model and you think that's what I want to be. I mean, she's just built a walk-in freezer in a massive warehouse, which is, you know, perfect for supplying raw because you need a lot of freezer space. But there just isn't it's a real shame because so many properties are sitting empty at the moment. You just think if these landlords just gave a little bit back sometimes and said, you know what, give it a go. So that somebody is paying some rent, you know, even if it's half of what they're asking, just to get them off, you know, off the ground and get running. But it just doesn't seem to work like that.
1: No, that's it. I mean, a lot a lot of the properties here and a lot of the landlords are holding out for those big industries that like like the old LVCR business, low value consignment relief, where you had companies, like I think it was play.com over here selling CDs. And if it was on selling back to the UK for under 18 pounds and there was no VAT on it. So there was a whole industry here based on that and, and, and properties and those properties have remained empty for the last however many years it's been, five, seven years, something like that. While well, they wait, but they're happy to see them empty. They could be generating an income. I mean, even if it's covering costs, it's better than have them empty for so so many years.
2: Well, and that's the thing, you know, and you know yourself. Like places that are left empty get damp. You know, they fall into disrepair. You know, why why can't chance be given to these people that want to better themselves, and and, and pay a you know a nominal rate? But it just doesn't. I don't want to say that they're greedy because I understand, I get it. I get that they're, you know, wanting a certain amount for it and that somebody will come along and take that property from them. But, you know, sign a year lease, give somebody a chance, you know, let, mm. let's get, there's so many new companies that are being set up, you know, due to the last lockdown. I had thought about, perhaps clubbing together with a few of those people and saying right if we were rented a bigger property
0: yeah
2: we'll split it down into sections almost so based on you know what the strawberry farm was when you walked in you could you could buy from different people you know get something like that but then it's like if one person then decides after six months it's not working for them who then picks up their space rent and it just it seems like a bigger headache to to try and organize something that, like that but I'm not saying I'm not going to try in the future to do something like that but if somebody could set something like that up then you know I'd be there supporting them all the way because honestly I think we will have to be in this together
1: yeah well that that's the thing that the states need to remember is they, that in in our, in our elections in 2016 everyone said we need to diversify the economy and all that's really meant is from just going from finance, we've now got green finance as well. There, there's not a lot else that's been um, done, and the same no. now. There's... And the
2: thing is as well is um, in the UK, new businesses you can get a startup grant. You know they will help towards, um, you know, even if it's something like simple um, a freezer just to start your own premises up. Yeah. You know you can apply for grants like that in the UK, whereas we have nothing over here that we can apply for so most people setting up new companies are doing it with their own money and -hmm. they're investing a lot into that company so why can't other people then take the time to invest in them you know we're we're serious business people we're not doing it it just on a whim um you know I left a career which was going to provide me with a pension it was a stable wage every month I knew what my wage was and I left there to the unknown
0: yeah
2: you know and you've got to make it work and these people that are setting up these businesses they do want to make them work so
1: yeah i well, don't know what the answer is i campaigned for like uh space for light industrial yards and we eventually got that the our, our government owns quite a few different properties here that are redundant basically doing nothing and they um light industrial yards is quite an easy one to sort of enable it's literally just Level it out and and put some harris fencing up, divide it up, and then let us let us take a space each. But I do think that we could be building other spaces like warehouses and workshops and and commissaries, uh, which the United States have, which is basically kitchens that could be rented out. So if someone's got a catering business, they can rent time spaces in, in these kitchens to go in, they do their bits and pieces, they go out, the next person comes in, they do, and, and like that. And it's gonna take thinking like that, creative out of the box thinking. Um, I know our states likes to say that they don't wanna interfere with the, the private sector and all that, but or the private market, but they need to because it, it's restrictive. Like you say, your, your rent for the place that you liked, looked at was 18,000 pounds a year for, for a small business, a small startup if a, a small startup in the UK was looking at eighteen thousand pounds a year before any other costs it's just it's a it's a non-starter, you know
2: yeah and this and this is the thing um you know and I, I did I I, th- I just thought to myself then no we'll, we'll just carry on as we are but it's getting to the point now that I can't I can't move until I grow but I can't grow until I move so I'm in a proper catch twenty um, yeah. two but I've now managed to find you know a property the landlord has been absolutely amazing and quite a few smaller businesses have taken property from him in the last couple of months and completely approachable it was i had almost gone from speaking to all of these people that I just thought really yeah, you know there's, there's no help there was no listening it was just no you were shot down straight away to speaking to him and it was like yeah we can do that for you yeah we can do this you know and Yes, we can discuss the rent. I was honest. I said, look, this is the bottom line. This is what I can afford. Do you think it's doable? And he was like, well, we would be asking this for it, but I will see what I can do. And yeah, honestly, I I can't fault how he's been. And as a landlord, you know, I'm going to be thankful to have him with having my back, basically.
1: Yeah. Okay. So before, when you said you were a a police officer and you, you had the dog, I suppose I hadn't really thought about it before but you said that um it's almost that uh, your the was the dog your responsibility basically
2: yeah the- so um they used to come home they lived at home with us so they were they were all integrated into family life I've got two small children and my partner yeah. um and they were always part of our family um but they had a job to do
1: and is that the same in in elsewhere in the world do the do police dogs live with- yeah
2: absolutely yeah um yeah there's obviously a few places in the world um who can't take their dogs home for wh- whatever reason however they have you know boarding or kenneling facilities yeah. but yeah the majority of the UK and Guernsey and Jersey we we take our dogs home with us
1: yeah not that Guernsey's a sort of high crime rate area but it must have been nice to have that extra security at home <laughs>
2: um yeah however she was as quiet as a mouse when she was in the garden you know put her in the police van and she knew you know, she always used to make me laugh because as soon as the blue lights went on and the sirens, that was it. You know, yeah. you could hear her bouncing around in the back, regardless of <laughs> what we were going to. She thought, "Yep, yeah, you know, come on, we're going to a job, mum." But yeah, it's such a rewarding um, job to do. Honestly, I, I I worked the drugs dogs and job satisfaction. It was a hundred percent. You know, I, I loved working those dogs. Really did.
1: What What was the name of the dog that you had?
2: So I had Asti was my first ever police dog. Yeah. I then had um, Leddy, Leddy. Uh, Leddy. I had Ike, he had a crazy mohawk, so he got a lot of street cred, um, <laughs> everyone loved his mohawk, um, I then had um, a dog called Duke and then my last one was called Bryn.
1: Okay, so ju- just for the sort of excitement factor, did, did any of those <laughs> dogs see much action here?
2: <laughs> um, the drugs dogs are used constantly. Um, that's, you know, your, that's who gets out of the van most is, is your drugs dog. Um, the shepherds, like you say, the crime rate over here isn't that high. I mean, when I first joined the job 19 years ago, yep. we were dealing with vehicles being taken every weekend, properties being broken into, it was always go. However, I think over the last couple of years, car security has got much better. Right. um so cars aren't as easily stolen anymore um unless they've got the keys obviously but to be honest with you the crime rate here is so low we're so lucky we are. and i think sometimes we're a bit too shouted here you know in respect of we can just leave our front door unlocked and not even think about it pop to the shop and i mean i've got i've gone out a few times and left my blinking keys in the front door yeah. thinking i'd locked them and taken them off and everything's still where it should be you know so I do I do think we're really lucky here
1: okay so you you expanded your um customer base and and a lot of people come to you because their dogs have got allergies do you get a lot of feedback from owners taking the yeah, food yeah
2: no, absolutely and I make sure that I make contact with those customers as well after a few days to make sure that everything's going well there's there's been a few dogs that have come to me so one dog came to me last year um the lady was just besides herself she had tried all of the diets you could think of and she said look she said i was chatting to a friend today she said go and see sam so she popped down i gave her some chicken and some turkey for her dog and said look we'll start start here and then we'll go on um and her dog within three weeks the improvements in that dog was massive i mean the dog had no fur when she first came to me because she was chewing herself two pieces um her skin was red raw and within three weeks, the owner sent me a picture saying I could actually cry with joy because she is growing her hair back. She's now playful again. We've got yeah. our naughty poppy back. And, and that's lovely. When you hear success stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, the job satisfaction you get from that is just from helping that dog to self mutilating itself to being comfortable. Yeah. It's just incredible. You know, and I'm not saying that everyone should run and stick their dogs on raw. I know it's not for everybody. However, there is a lot to be taken from some of these success
1: stories. Because some people make the mistake of um, trying to feed the dog, like at the end of the Chinese, they they see the spare rib bones, and they think, oh, the dog will enjoy that, and they will give them the, the dog cooked pork <laughs> yeah, bones or
0: cooked people... lamb bones
1: or chicken bones, but they splinter, yeah, so... don't they?
2: Yeah, so cooked bones are an absolute no-go for for dogs. You know, when you cook food, you change the makeup of it, you change the proteins, you change the way the bones react. Now, yes, I sell sell raw bones here, lots of them. Chicken necks, chicken carcasses, chicken wings, you know, they're all great for the dogs. They help keep their teeth clean. They're good for digestion. I mean, it's a gross subject, but we talk a lot about poo in the shop. Um, because that's the <laughs> so one. So does my four-year-old.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that is the one massive difference that people notice first. I yeah. mean, you could have a dog that's gone from you know going four, five, six times a day.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, you've you've driven past those people that are trying to pick up a sloppy poo off the pavement and thought, <laughs> oh god, you know. And I drive past those people and desperately want to shout, come and get some raw from me, you know. Yeah. I mean, I had one lady in here that was. She was taking baby wipes out with her to clean up after her dog. Two <laughs> days later, she messaged me and was like, I can't believe it. I can actually pick up after my dog and not be embarrassed. You know, so it's, it's the small changes like that, which, you know, yes, you've got to giggle at sometimes because you're like, yeah, I told you. <laughs> you know, yeah, but it's nice it. when it comes back and it's just like, actually, it's made a massive difference. Massive difference. Um, we've got a Jack Russell and a Spaniel at home. Yeah. Now, before... I had the police dog with the ear issues. They were fed kibble because I didn't know anything else. Our oh, Jack Russell used to pick two or three biscuits out. The bowl was just depressed and not interested in food at all. Yeah. We switched it over to raw along with the spaniel and they both now do a happy dance every single time the fridge is opened. You know, it, it gets to the point where you're just like, really girls, I'm just getting a drink, you know, calm down, it's not dinner time. <laughs> But um, no, it's lovely. And then you get sent videos of going, look, my dog's doing a happy dance for its food. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. Absolutely love it.
1: So the whole reason that I'm doing this podcast is to try and just uh, remind people that small businesses exist and we've got our own separate challenges to other businesses. And and right now, a lot of us aren't aren't trading at all. But if you had sort of any um say and what the states do what 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 would you do to try and make your business better
2: i think we've touched on it quite a lot is it's just the rent on properties you know just to get the landlords just to think perhaps a little bit more about the smaller businesses that want to start up um yeah. you know and then also all of the states buildings that are empty as well you know what about renting those out you know because yeah. there's lots of them lots and lots of them i know that the there isn't a bottomless pit of money that they can give out to people but how about an incentive to start up your business because at the end of the day if my business grows i might be in a position where i can employ a member of staff so i'm going to be paying in into the the states in one way or the other so why can't we have a little bit of help just to just to get there
1: yeah so during uh because we've been locked down again and, and if this is the first time anyone's listening to this, this is the first podcast in Guernsey. We've been COVID free since about May and we've suddenly gone back into lockdown a week ago because uh, we had a few cases, a cluster out of the blue from nowhere where they can't trace back from travel. Now lots of us are sort of sat at home doing nothing. I'm, I'm trying to use my time productively doing this. Are you using your time? Are you trying to use your time productively towards your business? Have you got you doing anything that you maybe haven't, considered before
2: So um obviously I was running the business the last time we locked down. So that was, you know, a new challenge. But we literally um, you know, put a plan in action where people now place an order ahead of a collection date. Everything's boxed up for them to collect. So we can all be contact free. Deliveries, obviously I do deliveries, um, I'm doing over hundred deliveries a week at the moment. So as of 12 o'clock last Saturday my phone has not stopped and I'm talking even into 11 12 o'clock at night you know customers worried um you know because they can't get down here or you know lots of people have now been put into isolation again after this dance festival results so lots of my customers have text gone no I can't come down you know can you deliver absolutely of course I can so you just have to be quite fluid in how you adapt really i think and but people appreciate that you can adapt so quickly and because we've got space to be able to leave things out for people people are much happier being able to come down and pick something up and not have any contact with people or on going on to the delivery service you know it's there they don't have to worry about that then
1: have your sales gone up or down or been static then since uh last week
2: so the weirdest thing that happens during the lockdown last time was the amount of customers I took on. So I took on probably 30 new customers last lockdown.
0: Right. Now,
2: we're a, week, we're a week into it, and already this week I've taken on 10 new customers, whereas normally I take on average two to three new customers per week. So already it's increased. Now, I always like to ask people um, how they've come to contact me And the majority of it is actually word of mouth and friends' recommendations. Yeah. So what I think actually happens in lockdown is people reconnect, they start talking to each other again, and if the dog's running around onto their feet, then that comes up. So for me, it's been, you know, I know that lots of people don't and can't trade at the moment, so I don't want to, you know, rub it in too much. I can't trade
1: at the moment. I've got no... I know,
2: I know. And honestly, I it's a weird situation to be in when your business is doing well during a lockdown. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I feel a little bit guilty because lots of people are sat at home, you know, wondering how they're going to get through, how long is this going to last? How am I going to pay my staff?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so yeah, so I feel incredibly lucky to be able to still trade.
1: Okay. After the first lockdown last year, did you maintain those customers or did any of them sort of revert back to whatever they were doing before?
2: No, so um, once customers have gotten their dog on raw, the majority—I would say that actually 96% have actually stayed with me. Um, okay. You know, some dogs are quite fussy; they can go off of raw food, or they just don't like it. It's not for every dog, I know it's not. Um, but the majority of those customers have stayed, and lots of them become fans very quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, I've absolutely loved for the last two years. I really
1: have. But well, it's good that um, it's actually good for someone's business during during this period. Have you uh, got any plans for the future at all uh, to adapt or, or diversify?
2: I've got a few things up my sleeve. Um, I don't want to give away. did say away. before
1: regarding a, a premises, I think, <laughs> Yeah, yes. you didn't expand on it.
2: No, so I haven't announced anything officially yet, but there is lots and lots going on in the background um, with new suppliers, new stockists. Um, to maybe moving into a premises in the very near future.
0: Okay. Um,
2: it's been a challenge, especially during a global pandemic, trying to secure new suppliers. Brexit has been an absolute nightmare for postage. They're classing mm-hmm. as international, some of the companies. So having to explain to those companies, no, we're not international. We are literally a boat journey across. It's been quite a challenge, but most suppliers have been really understanding and actually you know no we, we can make this work
1: with the farmers over here a lot of a lot of the male cows they can't <laughs> be used for human consumption basically could they be used for for dog food as morbid as that sounds
2: so they have doing raw um has got to be you, you've got to be a bit scientific in it in it in the fact that you can't just mince a cow and feed it to your dog that's when raw goes terribly wrong um you know people can't just go to the shop buy mince meat off the counter and just feed it to their dog thinking that that's feeding a raw diet It's, it's not at all um like I said you know if I had the opportunity to set up a manufacturing plant of my own raw food then I would jump at the chance to use the local produce you know like the the fishing at the moment you know there would be so much fish that you could use mm. you know that there's lots of different things locally that you could use we've got growers we've got a good supply of growers you know so it would be a very exciting thing but i just
1: don't think i can understand that buying mints off of the shelf in the shop might not be a proper raw diet but could uh livestock here that isn't going to be used for human consumption could it be used um to be part of the the ingredients of uh an, an animal food
2: yeah, no, absolutely. Of course, it could. Um, you know, if I had the opportunity to set up my own brand and my own factory to to make it, then yes, you know, it would massively be a consideration. The dairy farm wastage, it, it is what it is. Uh, it's in well, raw just... feeding, everything gets used, so it would be a very good source of protein for for a raw business. It really would.
1: Yeah, I don't think we produce enough here to actually create a uh, sort of national or international business but at least for supplying local maybe even channel island uh, pets they're, they're...
2: yeah i mean there is one company locally um two girls have set up a um, company where they're drying out the beef so they're called um Bushan tushan i think i've pronounced that correctly and they sell dried dog treats and they are right, sourcing okay. all of their meat from the slaughterhouse directly so there is literally zero air miles to that as well
1: yeah i I'd, I'd never heard of them
2: yeah so so they're on facebook they're i believe that they they run a dog walking company um between them and yeah so that's a new guernsey company which was started funny enough as a result of the lockdown last year
1: maybe they want, might want to come on chat here just just going on that about chatting on here you were quite reluctant to chat to start with <laughs> I
2: just get so nervous, I really do. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to come across as, you know. (laughs) Especially in the lockdown, talking about my business, that's doing really well and it's flying and you're sat there not able to to go to work. I was just like, oh, no, I can't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, if any other fellow small businesses are listening, would you recommend them coming on here just to have a chat?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and we all love chatting about our businesses at the end of the day, you know, I, I could bore you with raw for hours um, to the point where you're just like, oh, God, Sam, shut up. But when it's something that you're passionate about, then, you know, yeah, get on here, have a chat. All
1: right, Sam, thank you. I appreciate your time. It is late. Um, hopefully I can uh, get this out as soon as possible. All right? I appreciate you coming Lovely. on. All thank right, you thank very you. much
2: for inviting me on. All right, then, you take later. care.
1: Bye-bye. Cheers, bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to Labour Force Chat and tune in next time. Cheers!